Hey, everyone. We want to take a moment to tell you about the sponsor of this podcast, Roosevelt. You may know Roosevelt as the company who makes those rad, all-over print button-downs with just about every franchise that you love. They, of course, have Star Wars, because this is a Star Wars podcast, but they also have Harry Potter, Disney, Pixar, Marvel, NASA, WWE, The Office, Nickelodeon, Rick and Morty, Friends, all kinds of other stuff, including new lines from Yellowstone and The Godfather. And not just button-downs, but t-shirts. They do shorts, jackets, hoodies, koozies, flannels, so many different kinds of items, so many dope designs. So if you're interested in picking something up for the first time, go to rsvlts.com and use promo code THANKTHEMAKER with no spaces to get 20% off your first purchase. Once again, that's rsvlts.com. Use promo code THANKTHEMAKER to get 20% off of your first purchase. This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming, only on Hulu. Hello there, and welcome to Thank the Maker, a podcast about heroes, princesses, scoundrels, hokey religions, ancient weapons, and all things Star Wars. I'm Adam Russell. I'm Ryan Key. Hey, I'm Nick Genbarian. And we have a guest. Oh, do I got to introduce myself? No, I'm going to introduce you. I'm a professional. Look at me. Okay, good. <laughs> special guest. Very special guest that I'm super stoked about. Sean, I didn't even ask you how to pronounce your last name, so I'm going to I'm just shoot it. Sean Iwasco. Close. Iwasco. Iwasco. Damn it. There we go. All right. It's Star Warsy. Ewok. It's super Star Warsy. <laughs> super I got called Ewok a lot. Yeah. Hey. I ain't mad at it though. They're cool. Yeah. Especially for our age. We love Ewoks. We're not like those yeah. old grumpy dudes. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Sure. I wanted to wait till we were actually live to introduce to meet Sean. What's up, dude? I'm Ryan. What's up, you know, Ryan? We do, we do it live, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I love it. How you doing, man? Real good. Real good. Thank you guys for having me. Right on. Thanks for being here, man. So Sean is I'm just going to say right at the top, an Emmy Award winner. <laughs> wow. Yep. We haven't had one of those yet, huh? First time. We're honored. <laughs> I have a moon, man. Does that count? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's pretty cool too, Ryan. That's pretty cool too. Hey, I won a bunch of bowling trophies back in the day. <laughs> so Sean is a visual effect. Vi- <laughs> you got me cussing. A visual hey. if- effect. You got me cussing, it's, my, it's my fault. It's my fault. You did it. Yeah. <laughs> visual effects production manager for the three main flagship pun intended, Star Trek series right now. Believe it or not, we've got Star Trek on the Star Wars podcast. Everybody lives for a good crossover, dude. Yeah. <laughs> the crossover you didn't know you needed. The mashup. Yeah. You know? yep. New Star Trek is dope. It's great, dude. You know, I'm not fully up to date, but it's there. I feel like the groove has, they've hit the groove. They know, like, it's, it's great now. It's always been great. It's just more a little actiony, looks great because of you. I agree. I agree. <laughs> I agree 100%. I love, I love New Trek. Yeah, so we were, we were talking uh, before we started. I think I'm the only one that grew up on Star Trek out of the three of us. Nick, you watched a little bit later in life. Ryan, you, yeah, you yeah. were never into Star Trek at all, right? No. Nope. Was in your lane. Well, I mean, do you need, as a young person, do you need someone to show you something like Star Trek? You do, right? You, yeah, I think you do. I feel, uh, yeah. Same with Star Wars, probably, you know? 
Like you need someone to be like, come and sit down and check this out. I never had that. So I was just yeah. a Star Wars mainliner. Yeah, I, I, I never, I, like I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Trekkie's worst enemy where I'm like, I love the J.J. Abrams movies. You know, like I, don't, <laughs> oh, I like those too. I, it's yeah. just like, yeah, I, I, I it, yeah, it wasn't um, something that was like in my household, you know, like my, my parents didn't watch, like my dad didn't watch Star Trek. And, and for however I got through my young life, I, I actually like don't think I ever had a good friend, you know, that was super into it either. Because that's probably how it happens too when you're at that age of like finding the stuff you love. I mean, I, I think Trek was more adult oriented, I feel yeah. like. You know what I mean? I think that that's, that that's a fair assessment for especially, you know, I mean, now we have things that are geared a little bit towards, um, towards youthful people. But I think, I think generally a fair assessment would be that Trek was geared towards adult. I mean, I didn't, I wouldn't have been exposed to, to Trek if it wasn't for my mother, you know, we said that beforehand. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and really my, my experience with Trek growing up was playing with the action figures, you know, the old kind of action yeah, figures yeah, yeah. that they had of like Data and the fucking Klingons and whatever, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love those things, you know, they were super cool to me. That's what made me watch it. Well, the, the interesting thing that some Star Wars or Star Trek fans may not know is that there's actually a long history of crossover at least like on the production side with star trek and star wars ilm being for for a lot of different franchises and a lot of great sci-fi movies back in the day being the, the effects house that, that handled the effects like some of the the most mind-blowing stuff in star trek back in the day came from ilm yeah they worked on a lot of stuff back then it's like that thing where like um space just brings people together you know mortal enemies <laughs> on the ground can be friends on the international space station that's right same thing on the screen you know um, so you're obviously a huge Star Wars fan, though we talked a little bit about it before, and I, I see it on your your social media. You know, you're you're at Galaxy's Edge, or you're at cons playing with lightsabers, cosplaying. Oh, yeah. So you went yeah. to the Return of the Return of the Jedi 40th anniversary recently. So I did. Yep. Talk a little bit about. Well, actually, before before that, you're you're a production manager. So in VFX, a production manager versus a visual effects supervisor. Are those terms somewhat interchangeable or can you kind of describe what your role is like or what your responsibilities are for, for listeners? Sure, yeah. So, you know, I want to preface this with that. Our group and our dynamic doesn't really exist anywhere else in the industry. Um, we have a very unique um, setup and, and ecosystem that we kind of thrive in. Um, and it com it's comprised of, you know, our, our head supervisor, Jason Zimmerman, who's, you know, a friend of mine we've been he's my boss you know um i say quotes because it doesn't feel that way you know we've been mm -hmm. friends time we're, we're we built this to i helped him to build this you know i i would like to believe that um you know the ecosystem that we have is not really based on um i don't treat my teams as if i'm their boss he doesn't ever treat me like i'm his boss it's that very like fluid i don't ever want to say family because whenever you say family in a work environment it feels super toxic but like <laughs> yeah but it is, it's, 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 it's familial in a sense that like, you know, we all have an equal say in, in how things go, you know, and he has allowed me to, to really oversee the teams of both of Star Trek Picard, Discovery and Strange New Worlds, um, as well as, you know, other shows that are outside the Star Trek universe, of course. But so for him, he's the main supervisor. He drives the overall look of the shows. Um, he uh, in turn with our other supervisors that are on board with us, whether they're on set or whether they're in-house. We have another in-house supervisor, Brian Tatoski, who, um, who he helps oversee the, the look of the visual effects as well. Um, and what I do as a production manager in the day-to-day -day is I oversee all of the teams. So I make sure that 
everyone's on schedule, everyone's on budget. I make sure that all the producers are doing what they have to do, all the coordinators are doing what they have to do. All of our systems are operating the way they're supposed to be. Um, and occasionally, my, my, my job is very, um, since my job doesn't really exist anywhere else, I do a lot of semi-producing here, supervision here, you know, I do a little bit of everything. Um, and that's why we call my, we, we call myself a project manager or a production manager. Um, but really I'm just, I'm here to support the teams. I'm here to support Jason and what he does and, and our senior producer, um, Alexandra, I'm here to, pres I, I, I basically, I'm here to make sure that everyone else is taken care of and, and we're all getting things done together and on, on as, as us as a team sees fit, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. So you're, so you're not, you're not just sort of overseeing and managing the the post pipeline. You 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 would be on set, you know, looking at things as they go, prepping like all along the way, the whole the whole process. Sometimes it depends on the show. I don't I don't I don't go up to Canada, and most of our shows shoot in Canada. Um, mm -hmm. But I was on set for Picard for a little bit in season one. We we have an on set team who deals mm -hmm. with that stuff. So usually what I do is I'm facilitating the what the on set team is doing and how that is impacting our our then production team in house. The interesting thing to me and like the, the main reason I wanted to have you on is because now that we're in this call it television still, I guess, for, you know, lack of whatever the new term is in the streaming era, we're, we're yeah, in an right. era of Star Wars TV, which is a first, you know, none of us grew up with Star Wars TV because, you know, we're old enough that the Clone Wars happened in our adult lives and that was animation. So it's different. So we, we're, we're now watching this live action stuff happen and it looks insane and Yes, we know a lot about the technology, but it's still very interesting to me, and it'll be interesting to hear your perspective on how you think or how, how you in the Star Trek world pull off these amazing amazing visuals on a, a TV budget and a TV timeline and how, you know, what, what do you think about what, what they're doing over at Lucasfilm? And if you have any insight or, or thoughts, because we are going to tomorrow at the time of this recording learn a little bit about season three mm. of The Mandalorian. So... We thought it'd be a good time to get your insight and just, you know, talk about some of our favorite shots and, you know, see, see what you can offer. Yeah. What did you, I guess I'd like to know what, when you first saw Mandalorian season three and learned about the technology of, you know, the, basically the huge LED screen soundstage, like what, is that something that you knew would happen eventually or was it a surprise? Like what was your kind of reaction to that? Well, I knew what happened in the previous seasons because we've been we've been running our own AR walls for the last several years since like Picard season three or since Discovery season three. Mm. And we were we were actually running in kind of in tandem with this technology at the same time as Mandalorian season one when they first started using it. Um, so although they aired before we our season aired, we were kind of doing the same things at the same time. Um, I, I think they utilized it. I think they utilized it well. I, I was a little surprised by season three. Mm -hmm. uh, you, you know, the thing about the thing about the thing about the AR technology and AR wall, you know, when you, you use these these LED walls and, and one of the things that we pride our, our group prides ourselves on the most is um, if you look at if you look at a, an IP like Star Trek, we are like much smaller budgets than most people believe we are on TV budgets. Mm -hmm. So we have to be very we have to start our production like six months prior to like what we're doing to to make sure that we're able to stay within those in those you know constraints so we have to do things in a way that is very thought out very very 
you know, resourceful. Uh, everything is, is resourceful. It's, it's meticulous. It's, you know, Jason, Jason is probably one of the greatest supervisors I've ever worked with. I've worked with a lot of supervisors and he, he has an eye and an understanding of the technology. And, you know, over the course of us using it over the last few years, we have an understanding of the technology of when to use it, when not to use it. Mm -hmm. And I think, I think that what happens is that some productions don't really respect that. Right. Uh, you know, so they're pushing more. They want more. They want more. They want to push it. They want to push it to the edge. They want to push it to the extreme. And I think that what happens is that the VFX tends to, um, it, it tends to show a bit personally. Yeah. Um, and I think that we saw a little bit of that in season three that we did not see in season one. I think season, the first couple of seasons looked really good. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think we saw, we saw some things, you know, that weren't so great in season three, personally, in my opinion. I don't think that had anything mm -hmm. to do with the visual effects people. I think it had more to do with probably their time constraints and, you know, who was pushing them to do what, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. That, that my, my understanding that I've kind of gained over the past several years, because I, we talked about this before. I, I've always been in, into effects, special effects, visual effects since I was a little kid. You know, I, I was watching um, movie magic on discovery, that series that you can actually go find on YouTube. It's all there. I was, I've been watching it recently. So I've been super into it and I've been very aware. And the thing that I'm learning more recently, watching specifically the, the corridor crew breakdowns, the VFX artist mm -hmm. react series is that yes, there, there's a certain sort of threshold for talent that, you know, any respectable series or film will need to be on a VFX team. But so much of it just comes down to time and human mm -hmm. hours that can be put in, can be afforded to put into something. So it's not, yeah. it's really easy for a viewer to watch something and go, oh, this looks like shit. They don't know what they're doing. These, this team sucks. This studio yeah. sucks. But it is just time because until, I mean, we're, we're quickly getting to a place where things can be, you know, AI is helping a lot. We've got all these new tools, but there's still a lot of stuff that's done hand, you know, almost hand-drawn, frame-by-frame, hand-rotoscoping, hand-painting. I mean, you look at you look at like the the Flash debacle that's happening right now. People are like, oh, Flash looked horrible, and it was it was you know, it was X, Y, and Z. The fact of the matter is, is like, if if you give me a week to do, I mean, you know, I was an artist for you know over a decade. If you give me a week to do a shot, you're gonna get a week's worth of work. If you give me <laughs> yeah. a month to make something, you know, and, and that's an extreme. You know, no one ever gets a month to work on a shot. I mean, on the films you do, on films you get. You can get several months to work on a handful of shots, you know, whereas like in TV, man, you'd have to do 20, 30 shots a day sometimes mm -hmm. like and, you know, there's smaller shots, but it, you'd have you got to turn stuff around much faster in TV. Whereas, you know, a film, you know, you might have some extra time, but at the same thing, you know, if a shot looks like it, it was done in a week, it probably was because, you know, time is of the essence to, you know, the powers that be who want to, who want this thing to air, who want to release this movie, who want, you know, that sort of thing. And, it, you know, there comes a point and, you know, there, as an artist, you know, I'm not an artist anymore because I, I realized that, you know, we're not artists, you know, we are, we're doing commercial art. I'm doing art for somebody else, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. and I feel like I'm more of an artist now. I'm more of an artist in the job that I do now than I was actually doing the art that you see on mm -hmm. television. Because I'm have more control over over how I get things done now, as opposed to you know if some supervisor wanted to put his stamp on some shots and making it saying, "Hey, I want it to look like this," and talking the the client into saying yes to this, even though it may not be correct. You know what I mean? Like these are things that, like as an artist, yeah. you know, and and any kind of artist, you know, you know whether you're you know 
commercial or, you know, whether you're in music or whether whatever kind of art that you're in, like there's always there's like a line where like you're an artist until this point. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Like who's giving you the money to be that artist. Right. If somebody's giving you money to be an artist, you're not really an artist. You're doing their job, you're yeah. doing whatever they want. You know, it's a like, commission, it's a job, whatever. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. You know, so I, I think that, you know, and I, and I think that when people, when fans look at something and they, they make these reactions online or whatever, I think it's, I think it's hurtful to sit artist. And I think sometimes you see that you'll see like artists get sideways and stuff because the, the fans don't really understand. They don't know what it's like, or they don't understand like what it takes to, or what, what the artist is under to get this done. Like, yeah. oh, that shot looks horrible. And the artist is like, damn, dude, well, the, the producer wanted it that way. My supervisor made me do it that way. You know what I mean? Like, there's all these, like, things that happen, you know? So it's hard for me. It's hard for me to even say, like, anything about the visual effects without prefacing that, like, we don't know what the circumstances were. Right. You know? mm -hmm. Yeah, we think we have it bad when fans are like, that song sucks that you've been working yeah. on for, like, two years. Say, yeah. yeah. Been working on a song for, like, two years. <laughs> but, and, and they don't know, right? They don't know what was going much on. Much less someone who, like, poured everything they had into the one day they were given to create something for television. Yeah. 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 Or you get, or you get, you know, we also would get, like, um, you know, where you have, like, a show. I've worked on some stuff that is, like... Not avant-garde, that's not the term you use, but I've worked on some weird stuff, man, where people are just like, oh, this is weird, this is ridiculous, why would you do this? And you're just like, <laughs> like it it wasn't made for you. If you don't understand, like, <laughs> yeah, I, right. I get you don't understand, like, if you write a song and you're like, the fans are like, they bug out because of it, and they're like, they don't really have to understand it, you know? <laughs> we relate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's what I, you know what I mean? Like, it's, it's being, being an artist is tough, man. Yeah. But I was kind of just saying that, like, I, you know, I've never found myself in a situation where I had someone breathing down my neck to, like, get something done, you know, so quickly that it wasn't going to be at the at the level that I wanted it to be. And, and and you have you have to deal with that way more. I mean, I've, yeah. I've never had to deal with that. So I was kind of I, I was making the point, like, we think we have it bad, you know, but like <laughs> you guys are every bit the artists that we are as songwriters and you have someone forcing you to finish your shit before you're ready to be done with it can't imagine yeah let it letting go letting go is letting go is tough it's so again it's one of the reasons why i'm not an artist because i just you know letting go of something is is the worst thing that you is the worst probably one of the worst feelings you have to do right yeah. i mean mm -hmm. yeah saying something's done when you don't really believe it's done is like yeah. or like giving up control because it's your job and if you become i don't know problematic to use that word then you're hard to work with and maybe yeah. that affects your job which affects your income which affects your family you know it's like it's a it's a it's a slippery slope. So that's that's huge in, in my industry in visual effects. Like I am also guilty of this, where I would rather work with someone I like than someone who's good if they're an asshole. Yeah, you know, if you're hard to work with, like genuine, like I would not like that. Being a being an artist and not wanting to let go of your work is different. If but if you're like hard to work with, gen really hard to work with, like I don't want to work with you. You know, like I I take pride in like my teams that I've built are. I mean, some of the greatest humans I, I will sit here and I will say they're some of the greatest humans I would have ever met. They're good. I have, I have helped to create this. I hope, I hope I feel like everybody else feels the same way, but I have, I helped, I hope that I have helped create these teams that really work well together and they complement each other's personalities. And, you know, I go through these long hiring processes because of it, you know, cause I want, I want the right people, you know, and I want people to be happy. You know, you don't want to hire somebody to do work for you whether it's an artist or not, and they're not a right fit, you know? Yeah. 
And I think that's really important. Like, you don't want to have somebody on, like, I love Star Wars, right? But if I was like, Star Wars sucks, like, I don't want to, I don't want to be on here. I want to talk about Star Trek VFX, you know what I mean? If that was the case, like, you guys wouldn't have me on here. You know what I mean? Like, there would be no reason for me to be here, Yeah. you know? Even if I was really, really good at what I did, it wouldn't matter, right? Because, like, that's not the point of this. And I think that's, we have to look at, we have to look at other situations, you know, and I think that that shows on screen. A lot of the times, if you build yeah. a team of artists who don't work too well together, you know, you'll see, you'll like, I, I, from what my job is, I can tell if your 2D and 3D department was working well together. I can tell that mm -hmm. by looking at your show, <laughs> you know, right. because there are some very, very indicative things to, to that process that, that I am aware of that most people might not be, but outside of our industry, but I'm aware of, I know like, Hey, this looks weird, and it's not because the producer made a bad decision. It's because two D and three D were not were not co they were not cohesive with one another. They were right. arguing. You know what I mean? That kind of thing happens. Yeah, there's we could spend an entire episode talking about fan perception, yeah, and <laughs> respect of artists or, or lack thereof. Unfortunately, the majority of the time it's lack thereof. But the the long history of Star Wars, especially in the early days, was about just what you're talking about a team of people who had a vibe together. And that's not to say that there weren't assholes that that contributed great things along the way, but they didn't stay, they didn't stay there very long. Like right. there, you know, it'd be like a one movie thing. I, I don't want to name the name, but there, there was a dude in, you know, on, it was, he was part of the digital transition that didn't last long. He did some great work, but you know, he, he butted heads with a lot of people and he made his contribution. But when people look back at that experience and the team and, you know, talk about what, what made something special or what, what made it work, some names don't end up on the list. You know what I mean? Because <laughs> that stuff matters. And yep. even today, there's so much more at stake. It seems like I don't want to have like a big economics discussion like we get into sometimes, but like the stockholder focused um, way that the world runs in a lot of cases that there, there are things like that that have to be dealt with. And it sucks when it comes to art, but people either don't want to believe or, or are incapable of believing that the artists on the ground who are doing the work love what they're doing. They care deeply about every single pixel that goes on screen. It's not a cash grab for them. You know, like stockholder decisions are, are made, but when it comes down to it, these are artists, these are people who care so much about Star Wars, like just as much as any of us who are watching it is the point I'm making. I can tell you right now, every single person who works on Star Wars loves Star Wars. Mm -hmm. yeah. For sure. Yeah. For sure. I know a lot of people work on Star Wars. They love Star Wars. Yeah. We say it with all these, you know, the once a season, whatever season of television we've been getting lately, we get some sort of behind the scenes thing and mm -hmm. they sound like us only, you know, like they're, they're actually in the production. They love it. Clearly. They really do. Yeah. And it's a beautiful thing. You know, I think that that's, that's important. You know, if they're, if people are, are happy with what they're doing, they're going to produce good work, mm -hmm. you know, and, and they do. I mean, you look at the stuff that you look at the stuff that's on the screen, man, some of that stuff, dude, like it, all of these shows have some of the, the coolest stuff I've ever seen in my life. Think about it. We are living, we're 40 year old guys or, or somewhere close to that. We are seeing things on television. We are seeing our childhood dreams, right? And again, like I, like I said, I, I started with more sword and sorcery. I didn't really get into Star Wars till late, a little bit later in life, but we're seeing our, the things that we always wished we could have seen mm -hmm. actually happen yes. on screen. And it looks incredible, mm -hmm. right? I mean, like, yeah. you know, like it just, but whether it's the where they're shooting it or how it's being directed, the writing, everything is so good in these shows. Like, like we are living in a time that like, you know, you ever say, what a time to be alive. Like, what a fucking time to be alive, <laughs> yeah. man. Yeah, right. I know. 
Like we can go stand next to the Millennium Falcon and fucking Anaheim <laughs> right now, you know, and like like take a picture and we can see an X wing, a full size X wing. Like you know what I mean? Like That's like you know, I, I wrote Rise of the Resistance, you know, for the first time last a week ago, two weeks ago, like like a week and a half. Congratulations! Half. <laughs> it was uh, you know what you know like when you walk out that elevator, man, and you see all those fucking stormtroopers, yeah. dude, like. Oh, dude. When you see the theatrics and I just like goosebumps, you just saying the sentence, I got just got goosebumps. <laughs> like you can't like like we are in a time that like and, and honestly, a lot of that, if you look at what's happening, they're using huge screens in there. They're doing things like the, it's a lot of AR shit. Mm -hmm. You know, when, when you're riding that ride and you're looking and you're seeing that space battle out there, that's that's what they're shooting on in Mandalorian. That's what they're shooting on in, in Kenobi in these shows. That's what I'm shooting on. You know what I mean? I'm shooting on these screens that they're projecting these space battles on. And it looks so rad. Yes. Like, how can you not be excited about that? You know, like, like there's like, it makes me excited. You know, think just thinking about it. Like, I want to go back down to Disneyland right now. Like, mm -hmm. you can't, you can't look at that and not just be in awe and be like how the artistry behind it, the people who, who built the models of those ships, the people who did the visual effects for the explosions and for the shoot, you know, for, for like, you can't, you can't not be in awe at that. You know, yeah. no one can. I think the line that, that gets blurred now between the films and the television from a BFX standpoint too is just dude, it's insane. If I really go back in my mind and scan through Kenobi, Mandalorian, and or the sequel trilogy, what what did what was in the features that's not in those shows? From 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 a visual standpoint, what part of the series were you watching where you felt like, you know what, if this was a feature, this this would be even better, or this would be even bigger, or this would yeah. be even gnarlier. Like few and far between, dude. The, the you know the the duel, the final duel between Obi Wan and 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 Anakin would have been. That's what it would have looked like in a film <laughs> if Obi Wan had been a film. So it's. Yeah. I I think. I mean, maybe I'm wrong. I don't know, but I never find myself watching Star Wars episodic stuff, thinking, man, if it. No, this is really good, but if it was a feature, then we'd be talking. Thank a local VFX artist. Well, yeah. thank you. Thank you to yeah. all of them. <laughs> because now now they got to do it. Now they got to do it instead of on, you know, and I think I think the Star Wars shows have a, Star Trek has a, length, a lengthier timeline than network television, for instance. I worked on network television where you're like, you might work on a shot on a Friday night and it airs on a Sunday morning. Mm -hmm. That kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think that they operate on more of like our timeline where you can do all the visual effects for the show and then it airs six months later. So, you know, like we're airing season two of Strange New Worlds now and we finished Strange New Worlds season two last year. You know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. so, so there's a time that we, they have time to do it. It's less time than a film. You know, it's probably half as less time than a film, but it's still, it's a little bit more time and they're doing that. They're, they're doing that work. When you watch like Lou Andor is a it is a perfect example of like oh, dude. flawless visual effects dude yeah. like insane Andor you watch that show and you live you're in you're in Ferrix dude you're you live in these mm -hmm. environments you live in these in these between whether it's and it's not just visual effects it's costumes it's makeup it's everybody everybody in production it's it's the whole process of filmmaking that is so beautiful man like especially in andor i love andor the most because andor is like the most grounded right it's the grungy yeah. it's the realistic we're, Sean, we're friends that's this is we talk this is my thing on the podcast <laughs> man. lived in star wars like grown up lived in star wars didn't know it was go gonna be a thing that i needed yeah. in my life but it is by far my my favorite i mean same here it's like is it sacrilege to say that rogue one is the best feature of all of the features 
Probably. Mm-hmm. I don't think so. I think 1000% Rogue One is. Because of that exact reason. It's just so yep. lived in and real yep. feeling. And I love that. And the stakes are so high, right? Like exactly. you know yeah, the stakes. Yeah. Yes, Whereas dude. like the the first the even the the first six like look, dude, like none of the films outside of Rogue One and Andor, they're the stakes are not the same, right? Like the stakes are so high that the whole time you're watching it, you're like white knuckled because you know, you know what this you know what's even funnier? You know what's even crazier? Star Wars Rebels, dude. Yeah. Like oh, yeah. Rebels, the stakes in Rebels mm-hmm. or Bad Batch even. There are some times in Bad Batch yeah. where oh, like, dude. and I, I've listened to some of your episodes where like, this is a show that is for kids, right? Mm. No, no way, dude. <laughs> I'm talking about where like, I am like pushing my kid out the way. Like, yo, I got to finish watching this right now. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. When the Bad Batch is not on a Monster of the Week episode, when it's in a real episode, Yes, yes. When it's in a real episode, it goes from it goes from zero to a hundred, dude. For real, I, I mean, it's man. When it's when it's in those mo- those types of episodes, it's it's running at full speed, a hundred. All you know, and it's stakes. It's because of the stakes, right? Like you know the stakes, 100%. right? And I think that's why Rogue One, Rogue One works because the stakes are so high, yeah. right? And that's one of my favorite my favorite Star Wars character of all time is Saw Gerrera. Oh yeah, because. Because if no one raises the stakes like Saul Guerrero, right? Yeah. Like that dude's entire backstory is of like, I'm going to raise the stakes as high as possible and everybody else has to deal with it. Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? Like when he, like, man. Well, to your point though, then also I'm going to, I'm going to build these sets and create these visual effects and, and these costumes and makeup and everything on, on a level. Yeah. Not, 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 not level's the wrong word because- you know, Empire Strikes Back, it's on a level. Right? I mean, then, then Return of the Jedi yeah. is on the next level in, in a style, I guess, that has never been mm-hmm. done before. And if it hits you right, it's it's going to hit you harder than anything Star Wars has ever done. And it did that for me. Yeah. I remember watching yeah. Rogue One feeling like, oh, okay, so Saving Private Ryan in space. Yes, I'm. this is everything mm-hmm. I ever wanted yeah. out of this. And there's not a single yeah. lightsaber in the film, you know? So yeah, I love it. Yeah, I feel that, you know, I feel I feel a little bit like that about Solo, too, man. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I know that a lot of people might not feel that way, but I think Solo is one of the most rewatchable because there are some yeah, moments. It's super fun. It's super fun, and the stakes are high all I the time. I think everybody loves right? Solo. I think the, I Dude, think it's they, an online thing that's weird. It's an <laughs> online, like, loudest voice in the room thing. Yeah. I think everybody loves Solo. Dude, Solo's good, man. Dude, you talk about stakes. I feel like, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but, you know, a, a lot of people, whether in, they're in special effects or in prop building or they're, they're in visual effects and in, 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 on the digital side, you enjoy what you're doing, right? You enjoy making things. But when, when you know the story, whether or not you, you've read the whole script, but you know what the story is about, you know the characters, the stakes of the story probably get you much more deeply invested in your work. And that raises the stakes for you as an artist, I, I would assume. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, when I was an artist, we don't really see scripts and stuff. We, you know, we get shots and we mm-hmm. don't even know the context of, of the shots generally, you know, unless we get like a sequence. If we get a whole sequence as an artist, you know, you know, like, and, and I think it's the same for all shows when, when they give their sequences to vendors who do the work, mm-hmm. you know, one guy might get five shots, one guy might get three shots, you know, they don't know the context of the work, but as, as doing what I do as a production manager, project manager, I read all the scripts. I see that stuff way before it ever get, becomes a visual effect. Right. And yes, yes, when I see the stakes, I'm like, this is this is what's up right here. You know, yeah. this is this is what's important. You know, there are things that, you know, 
I use I like Star Trek Discovery. I like to use that as a good example because Discovery is a show that they play with the stakes a lot. They the yeah. EPs are not afraid to like really do some really cool stuff, man. You know, not that the other shows don't, but the other shows are are a little bit more in line with Star Trek, where I think Discovery goes off of just they're they're one hundred percent Star Trek, but they do things that we've never seen before in Star Trek. I feel like really deep personal stories. Yeah, real deep personal stories, man, where where there are very, very high stakes generally. And I like that. You know, I always I love that, you know, st- discovery going away this season. You know, this will be the last season coming up is is really it, it's you know, it's the show that I started on. And it was one of the things that like I always drew parallels to the Star Wars universe because they talk about things in Star Wars and Mandalorian and Kenobi and all these shows that like you don't see on television anywhere else. Right. Mm-hmm. Like like and you know it's not just lightsabers and blasters and stuff like this is real shit that they're talking about like real Mm -hmm. things that are like emotional and like you know like kenobi going after and and saving leia like forget about what anybody thinks about what that may be like if you're a dad or if you're not a dad if you're just someone who can like relate to that like there are stakes that are in that 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 are very identifiable to people Mm -hmm. you know even if you're not in that specific situation, like it's identifiable, like what he was going through during during that time, what she was going through during that time, you know, like, so there are, there are things that I think that these shows do now that are just, man, it's so beautiful, right? Like Mm -hmm. it's cool. It's cool. Like to sit there and be able to experience these things. Like, I don't know about you guys, but if you didn't like shed a tear on some of these things, I mean, like, and or like, if you didn't cry during Andor, dude, like, (laughs) if, if, he didn't make you cry like there's some go go check yourself out bro because something's really wrong with you. like oh, if, if I'm a that, that marva speech if that marva speech oh, didn't didn't like put you sideways and you were like yeah dude f- the empire i'm gonna go punch yeah. the Nazi in the face right now you know what i, I mean like, I was like my <laughs> can't watch that stuff and not get emotional man my know? second watch through of kenobi which i only watched it when it first came out yeah. you know in real time and then at, at star wars celebration this year, Nick and I randomly got a, got a message from a fan the night before the Sunday of the convention, and was like, "Hey, we didn't we didn't get into any panels. You know, we applied for them all, but we didn't get it's a lottery, and we didn't get any." And we got uh, a fan reached out through Instagram, was like, "Hey, I have a couple extra tickets uh, for the Kenobi panel. Do you guys want to go?" And we're like, uh, <laughs> yeah, "Yes, yes, we do." <laughs> so we went. It was super emotional. You know, the whole cast was on stage. It was super emotional. But the first thing I did, I was flying, it was Sunday, so I was flying home on Monday from London. First thing I did when I got to my hotel that night was download Kenobi. Like, okay, this is what I'm going to watch on my 10-hour flight back to LA. I'm going to watch it all the way through back to back. I haven't done that yet. So it's going to be like a six-hour long movie. I was a mess. I mean, I was an absolute mess. It hit so much harder than the first time when it was broken up. And it looked and it looked amazing. You feel oh, in oh, it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But, but I will say that as far as like the, you know, just kind of talking back to the point of like episodic versus feature film, watching Kenobi episodically, it did kind of break that up, break it up into like, mm. oh, well, now I'm kind of, I know this is coming, this thing with Darth Vader and, mm. and Obi-Wan Kenobi win. And, and like, I get it. I get it. Leia, little girl, he's saving. I get it. But like, have we seen enough of that now for two weeks? When you watch it all together in six hours straight, it, it's a whole different ride. It's like, it, 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 I don't know. It just, it propels it faster. Well, it was you know? supposed to be a film, right? It was supposed it was, to be a film, yes. wasn't it? Originally like they, it was. And they yeah. like cut it out, right? As they, they made it. Well, it, uh, I think that based on the series, I think the script just never 
wasn't going to be a three and a half hour long movie, you know, and that's even cutting yeah. it down. It was yeah. just, it was just hard for them to tell the story. And, and I think that, I think that people, people need to, and fans are never going to understand that either. Like, I think that some, there are some things that are meant to, um, you know, like the prequel trilogies, mm-hmm. they're, they're hard to watch individually. Yes. You know, yep. they, they don't, they feel weird when you watch them individually. Yeah. But if you watch them back to back, and I know it's a long ride, but I do this Lord of the Rings all the time. Yeah. If you watch them yep. back to back, like it is a complete something, and it's a, it's awesome. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Like it is, it is good, man. You know, like it's yeah. It's, it's hard. To, it's hard to just watch the Phantom Menace and walk away feeling like yeah. <laughs> yeah you can't like you can't you can't because that's the first act, right? Yes. You can't watch the Phantom Menace and walk away and be like oh hundred percent. It feels weird. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If, and you can't you can't just watch you can't just watch uh you know attack of the clones because mm-hmm. that's weird right you feel like it starts in the middle of a movie and it ends at the, in the middle of a movie mm-hmm. it never feels organic right but if you watch them all together you know i think that's the thing with kenobi kenobi people are always like oh it it, it the pacing is wrong and all this other stuff and i disagree i just think it's meant to be watched in a sitting and it was unfortunate that they had to release it in an episodic you know way but Watch the shit. Everybody just go watch the shit in one sitting, man. Stop, stop messing around. Go do it. It's beautiful, man. Kenobi's beautiful. Just go try to have fun. It, it, hey, just oh, yeah, turn dude. over a new leaf and try to have fun. <laughs> can we talk about how? Can we talk about that last battle though in in Andor though? How good that looked. Mm-hmm. Oh, dude. Unreal. Like I was shook. And these are practical effects. These are effects. These are visual effects mixed with practical effects that like, like I was like that shit was like scary almost. You know what I mean? When that fight pops off man like you're like what is happening people are scrambling on the ground beautiful stuff i know we're talking here to talk about mandalorian but man <laughs> no they did great Andor, Andor is to like disney star wars television what rogue one is to disney movie star wars movies you know like they're both yeah. the cream of the crop yeah so good yeah i agree it's so good, man. Man, I love you guys. A lot of people I talk about are always like, oh, we don't really like the other stuff. And I'm just like, mm. you know, I was too old for Clone Wars, right? I was too old to watch the cartoons. I was too, way too old for Rebels. And I wasn't like in a mind state at the time. I, I rewatched all that stuff as an adult. Same. And I yeah. love it. I love it now. I love it now. You know, but had I watched it when it aired, like I would have been like, I, don't, I would not have. I was in a different Same. space. I know? watched Clone Wars Two years ago, right, guys? Mm-hmm. I think yeah, a year like and a half, two years ago. And yeah, I mean, getting to the finale of the Clone Wars was, I mean, that was one of the most cathartic experiences of my life. You watch it <laughs> as an adult, you're like, there's no, they made this for children? What are you fucking kidding Dude. me? Like, you're like <laughs> yeah. falling, like it's, you're emotional and you're just, there's no way. And kids are just like, ha ha ha, look at that. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's like, ah, my, my kid loves Chopper, right? Because I love Chopper because I'm like Chopper, right? <laughs> And like my kid laughs at Chopper all the time, and I'm just like, bro, but Chopper's mad serious, dude. Like, watch, <laughs> watch this character progress throughout Rebels, right? Like, there's character development of fucking droid, yeah. right? Like, and a little robot committing war crimes. Yeah, there's character. A robot committing, bro, bro, dude. I saw that meme the other day, and I was like, this is the most perfect thing ever. Yeah, the most perfect thing ever. It really is. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, let's talk about some actual uh, VFX shots. Yeah. So I have a few that I picked. Um, one just 
to kind of talk about the technology, but then a couple because when I saw them, again, being a, a person who pays close attention to this, had a moment where I was like, how did they do this in budget on this timeline, on this television show? How is this happening? Because they had a million dollars. So, <laughs> I mean, Disney has more money than anyone ever deep pockets but yeah, good. let's do it so the, we're gonna talk about um chapter 15 the believers this is season two episode seven so this is uh, i'm gonna forget the name of the planet but it's when um bill burr bill burr's character with with mando they go to the imperial base right and there's the classic like western fight on top of the train kind of thing the um the raiders come to sort of hijack them and I went back and watched the ILM breakdown, and this was supposedly supposed to be um, or, or an entire sequence done in the volume. But because of COVID, they had to do it outside. You may not know the answer, but you may be able to infer something. The stuff in, you know, the sort of the decision-making process between the volume or outside under the actual sun with a blue screen, how much of that has to do with just the how bright an LED wall can get these days and how much of it is just like a, a kind of like a space consideration. Because my understanding is the, the walls aren't quite bright enough to fully duplicate real outdoor light and you got to light the shit out of them with, you know, you, you got to add a giant key light or something just to, to pull it off. What do you think? I think it depends on, on the shots. Um, you know, for us, that's not an issue because we're in space. Right. <laughs> for like Tatooine, like you're you probably there's probably going to be some some challenges with that and it, it depends on the wall you know and i i hate to say this being recorded but i i i don't know for a fact but i am under the assumption that they are using an older led wall volume that is not as expansive as the newer technology that has been out in the last you know 36 months yeah 24 months yeah, th at this point, season two, yeah. And I think that that is probably what is the biggest hurdle that they are going to. I mean, I, I you know, I like when I talk about, I, I've had this conversation previously. And when I talk about like their technology, you know, because it's always like they started the technology, they, they did do some things, you know, before other people. Um, but because of that, they, and again, this is just my assumption, they lock themselves into a technology that may not be, as relevant today as it was when when they did that mm -hmm. so um i i believe that that's probably the biggest hurdle that they have yeah. you know that's why they would have to comp overcompensate or compensate for for that said technology you know you couldn't shoot you couldn't shoot you know you had to shoot certain distances from the wall at right. that point there were there were, there's pixel pitch that comes into into play in a lot of those situations um the older walls or the the first walls they generated a lot of heat so they could not get them as bright as they wanted to that those kind of situations did arise at that point. So, um, you know, and I know that they, they are, that's their proprietary stuff and that they own those, those volumes. So, and I think that, um, the technology moved so quickly that mm -hmm. I think that it kind of, it might, it, it, it sort of left them a little bit, um, behind than other productions in, in some cases, mm -hmm. you know? All right. Well, let's look at this little sequence here. They shot this outside on blue screen. The crazy thing to me when I look at this, I mean, you do it on the volume, you build all the assets beforehand, and it's all in camera. Everything behind the characters is in camera. But this all being on blue screen, yeah. I mean, this this is it's still a digital world, but they have to comp it all together. I, I, 
I assume it's made easier by the fact that no one on top of these vehicles has hair. Mm-hmm. Even if yeah. Bill Burr was out there, he's bald. Mm-hmm. You know, so so copying yep. together a, a bunch of smooth heads and a bunch of armor is easier. But I just, I don't get it. This level, I mean, it's a completely digital environment with people on a half a vehicle with a bunch of blue walls. Yeah. Please tell me the secrets, Sean. <laughs> I mean, there's no, there's no secrets. I mean, it's, it's, this is, this is artistry. This is, this is, you know, before we had the volumes, you know, um, and again, I can, I can refer back to, to Trek because, you know, we did a sequence in season one where, uh, Captain Burnham is fighting Klingons on the top of this planet. And it's in a, I visited set, I, I visited set that day by chance. That's why I use this as an example. And when I visited this set, it was, you know, Neville Page's monster suit and this Klingon inside the suit fighting Captain Burnham on this giant, nothing else was in the room. Mm-hmm. Everything else was green. Everything else was giant. And this is where the artistry comes in for the artists because, you know, they don't just have to, you know, replace the background. This is not just, you know, hey, we're going to Photoshop this background in place. Like, this is moving. We've got shadows moving in some stuff that you can see. We've got all kinds of, like, glow that's happening on the sides of them because they're outside to make them kind of live in that world. There's a lot of things happening in here. There's, I don't, I don't think there's any secrets. I think this is just, this is just the artists, like, taking this blue screen footage and, you know, doing what they could do best. You know, like that was a, that was definitely a, you know, he falls off. That's a specific visual effect. That's a one specific shot of him falling off. There's a specific shot. This is all of these are individual little shots that like, right. These artists needed to make cohesive to make this scene look like they'd all live together. I don't understand. It just doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't, not real. I wish I, I wish I could pull up like a, like a, like a comp and just like show you guys what it looks like and like step by step, but like, yeah. you know, before and afters don't usually help anyway when you show people stuff like that. Right. Um, but it's it's a lot of, you know, you know, for 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 that scene, for instance, right? You know, I I'm assuming that some of that vehicle was practical. Right. Um, so some of that probably had to be replaced at some point. Like above the wheels, from what I saw in the breakdown. Like above the wheels, right? See, I didn't I didn't watch the breakdown. So so like they had to replace the entire thing above the wheels. That's one, right? Mm-hmm. So you've got CG artists who are building those assets. You've got you know, animators who, you know, maybe some of those are stunt doubles. Maybe some of those are digi doubles, right? So some of these people here are not real, right? Some of these people are like digital doubles hanging out. Like maybe these three guys even could be. I mean, I, I don't know for sure. They could have shot that practically. But some of these, there are digi doubles all over this play, all over this sequence for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, so you've got animators having to animate guys maybe falling off and guys, you know, getting hit and getting shot, that sort of thing. So you've got, you know, 2d animators who are who are animating these 3d these 3d characters you've got and then and then at the end of the pipeline you've got compositors what i did is we get the we get the truck we're going to get the digi doubles and we're going to get the live action footage right and then we have to take that live action footage lay it over you know we got to start with the live action footage we got to lay that model in there we got to rotoscope people back on top we got to get those digi doubles in there we got to make those digi doubles feel like they're real and they exist because they don't look like that before when you get them, they look like they don't look. They look worse than action figures sometimes. And I'm not saying that as a as a something against 3D people. I'm saying that as in like you get a fake person as a digital double, and you have to make it live in this real world, you know. And I think that some of that is is hard to do. And and these artists, man, did a great job with this sequence, you know. 
So patience must be something that every digital artist needs tons of, right? Yeah. It seems like so tedious, like beyond tedious. It is. It is tedious, especially for, for a sequence like this where like, you know, because the truck had to be replaced, like there's, there's these legs might've been having to been replaced at some point. The footage that went on top might not have been perfect. They might not have been lit perfect. They would have had to relight it themselves in, in, in comp. I mean, there's a lot of things that, you know, there's a lot of motion blur happening. So as mm-hmm. uh, you could hide things, but sometimes that reveals things as well. You yeah, know, that's the you, thing. Can, you, can, you can look at their background, which is fully CG, right? Mm-hmm. And you can look at the, the motion blur on the background of the trees and you don't see that on the foreground, right? And, mm-hmm. and they, that's a purposeful thing because you wouldn't be able to see the action generally if they were, it was all blurred out. But like, if you look at like, that's probably not a good frame, but if you look at some of the stuff, like, so they did some real work on this scene, man. Mm-hmm. You know, whereas if they did it on the volume, like, I don't know if it would have been easier. Mm-hmm. I mean, it would have been a bit easier. It would have been a bit easier. I know, you know the volume doesn't doesn't take away work. Yeah, the volume you have to do the work beforehand on the volume. Right, you front load mm-hmm. uh, with with all the assets. So it doesn't. Yeah, you front load. You front load. You front load with the assets, and you front load with um with what's happening. You know, but I I think this looks really good for what it is. Yeah, you know. I, I think they did a good job. I mean, the the unanswerable question in this conversation, because no one here works at Disney or or can see the the budget breakdown. But I mean, I understand how how this stuff is made. I know it's. I mean, just from spending more than half my life in Photoshop, I understand the concepts. But it's the quality on the budget and the time frame they had to do it in. I mean, I I know at some at some point they just start handing out handfuls of shots to to different effects houses mm-hmm. you just got to do what you got to do and you just have to spend the money yeah so did they just find themselves in this covid situation where it's like okay this is going to cost double now well I, I you know what i mean like does it does it get there i mean i don't i don't know what the how different paramount is versus disney in terms of that kind of shit you know it, it's probably not double but i i think that there's there's definitely a cost effectiveness in when you use the volume as opposed to not right right um but I think at this point, like in COVID, they had to do what they had to do. Right. I think that this was this was something that they probably had planned for due to COVID. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, and and again, I didn't I didn't watch that, but I I assume that you know because this is how we did it before the volume, right? And this was you know we were not that far away from doing it this way all the time. As a and and again, like I think that most things that people think are on the volume might not actually be on the volume. Right. You know, I think that they do a lot more in on green screen than, than, you know, we say we do sometimes just because like there may be a reason why this couldn't be done on the volume, you know, and I'll, I'll give you a perfect example, like depending on this, for this probably could have been done on a volume, no problem, but there are certain things that can't be done on a volume because of uh, the complexity of it, you know, um we've got we've got you know a show that we for instance we, we've got a we've got a show where there's like a tank throw that we shot on a volume and this is not star trek related this is something else i'm, I'm doing on the side but there's a project that we're doing it was done exactly the way that you would have to do a project for a volume like this was this was made to be done on a volume mm-hmm. and they did it the right way but there's a shot that's like a tank throw right and you would think because it goes volume to tank throw to volume Right. And if you look at it, you're not seeing that that you don't notice that that's what's happening. Right. Mm-hmm. Because the, the, the artists do such a good job. 
at that at that but you can't do a tank throw in a volume like there's no way you can do like a 360 you'd have to have a 360 volume you know if anything that goes outside of that volume and that's the constraints that you run into right like you can't go too high you can't go too low you got to have camera angles that make sense Mm -hmm. in the world of a volume right and i think i think that that's why some things break on some shows because they try to use the volume for things that so so i guess what i'm saying is like before I say what I'm about to say, I guess what I'm saying is like there are there are times that um, we should use the volume and times that we shouldn't use the volume. Right. For this particular case, I think that could it have made it cheaper and a little bit easier for them to use the volume in this particular case? Sure. Yeah. Um, but I don't think that that would make it look bad or worse. I think that either way they did it, I think it would still look you would still get the achieved effect. Right. You know. Yeah. Um. I think that maybe, you know, you could have gotten a little bit more of the interactivity between the foreground and the background better with with using the volume only because only because there are too many variables when you don't use the volume. There's a lot right. more variables, right? There's there's all kinds of things that happen. Um, so I think that you can get a better look with the volume and for something like this. But again, like it's knowing when to use it and when not to. Yeah. You know, and I think that in this particular situation, they they knew that they can get away without doing it. Yeah, you know, and I, I think it, I think they, they sold it. You know, the other thing I wonder, and they they haven't talked about this specifically, but I assume prior to the volume, you know, I'm I'm thinking like Avatar was the first big application, the first, you know, early visual uh, or sorry, um, virtual production, mm-hmm. where yeah. what they're seeing behind the camera, well, they're they're holding an iPad with handles. They're mm-hmm. seeing the background that's going to be there. In, in the case of Avatar, it's motion capture. But they are doing this in these productions as well, right? Where they're they're framing shots by seeing the you know, the un, the unreal world on an iPad. So there is a little bit of best of both happening, right? Because traditionally, like when Lucas did the prequels, it's all on green. And a lot of the Marvel movies, it's like, well, I hope it turns out. I hope the visual effects artists don't all jump off a bridge when they have to figure out this shot. To some extent, I, you know, I, I've never seen, I, I, the whole visual of, of the guy looking at the iPad, I don't know if that's really correct. I feel okay. like, like that's a, that's kind of like, 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 sure, that is, that could, that could be a thing. Mm-hmm. I've not seen it done that way. I okay. don't think that's how they're doing it. I don't, I don't believe that's how they're doing it because I think that you're looking, you would need a director that would follow constraints that way. And I think right. that the directors, I think that the directors in these universes are, I don't know if I should say it that way, but they are, they are very, very talented in a way that you can't constrain them to. They're brought on for their strengths, not to be constrained by the workflow you want to apply. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Exactly. Like, like when we're, when we're talking, like, like I can say for us, when we're talking about virtual production, we work with some incredible directors and these guys are three months ahead of before they're shooting, four months ahead of before they're shooting, and they're laying out how they want to shoot this. Mm-hmm. Like we are catering to them and how they want to shoot through a window. So we got a wild glass and we got to like, you know, make sure that the volume that's behind that makes sense for them to go. Th- you know what I mean? Like this right. is it's an artistry that I don't think that people realize sometimes. So there are, there are situations where like, yeah, they can sit there and look and it looks like they're, they're seeing everything on screen, but that's the wrong way to do it. 
Okay. You know what I mean? If your director gets there, if your director gets there and he's like trying to direct shots through an iPad or, mm-hmm. or through the camera. And again, like any directors out there who are hearing this, like, I'm sorry, but like, <laughs> that's the wrong way to do it. Like you gotta, like, you have to, and I have to believe that, that, that these guys are on these star Wars shows are doing it to where they're, they're plotting out what they're going to shoot. They know the angles they're going to use. Yeah, they, all these are fully pre-vised regardless, right? Yeah, like these are fully pre-vised. All the 3D is done. Like, yes, yes, it's going to be shot on an AR wall, but what's going to look like back there? What is it going to look like back there, right? Mm-hmm. I wish I could talk about some of the stuff we're doing right now for this season. I can't, but man, because there are things that are happening where we have to we have to do the 3D. We have to pre-vise it. We have to mm-hmm. look at these shots because the director has to be like, what am I going to see when I'm looking at this wall? Right. What am I going to be able to shoot? What mm-hmm. are the constraints of that? You know what I mean? And what are the what are the the benefits or because because here's the deal. Like if you get somebody who is like, hey, I'm going to do X, Y and Z, whether you say so or not, you could break the wall. You could break it. Right. You know, there are there are things there are there are things and I'm, and I'm going to wait. I'm going to see if you bring it up. If not, mm-hmm. I'm going to bring it up. There are things in like season three of Mandalorian. They broke it. And I'm like, I don't know whose fault that was, but it was broken. You know, yeah. and I think that I think that if you have a director who's on an iPad who's trying to drive shots on the day, that's where you're gonna get. That's where it looks bad. Yeah, you know, these guys. This was this was even this even this was prevised and thought out. They prevised right. the truck. They prevised the chase. They prevised the explosion. They prevised all of that because they had to. If not, if they would try to do that like out of nowhere, like it wouldn't work. You yeah, know, it, it would not look half as good as it did. It's interesting. Like my. My brain, my OCD brain, cannot imagine making a film that that has anything more than a couple talking heads in a room without a full previs, dude. Like, I yeah. I would I would go all in. Every frame of the movie would be previs before a single inch of film rolls. And some really good directors, they they want that. Yeah, and then some other people like Rodriguez talked about. He even in the volume, he he would have him throw up a green screen because being an old school visual effects, well, like gory special effects back in the day type dude. But he, no one's going to, oh, I don't even want to say that. He, uh, he said he, he liked the, the, the running gun nature of green, green screen, you know? Sure. I didn't fully buy it myself, but those words came out of his mouth. I mean, those films you can tell though, right? You yeah. could tell by those films and yeah. that's not a knock on him. That's just, they're not Star Wars. They're not Star Trek. They're not visual effects heavy films. They're mm-hmm. not. That's not what he. That's not what he's known for, right? right. So he, if you're a, if you're like a, if you're that kind of director, sure, dude. Like running gun is your thing, right? Like mm-hmm. that is because you're performance driven. You're right, 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 driven by the the people interactions, not by the world mm-hmm. interactions. And I think that that makes a difference, right? If you're if you're trying to drive a world then you need to be cognizant of of all of those things, you know? You can't just drop a green screen back there and be like, fuck it, I'm going to run and gun, you know? Yeah. You could, you could, but then, you know, you get these things that are not. You don't <laughs> live in the world at that point. Right. Hey, everyone. We want to take a moment to tell you about the sponsor of this podcast, Roosevelt's. You may know Roosevelt as the company who makes those rad, all-over print button-downs with just about every franchise that you love. They, of course, have Star Wars, because this is a Star Wars podcast, but they also have Harry Potter, Disney, Pixar, Marvel, NASA, WWE, The Office, Nickelodeon, Rick and Morty, Friends, all kinds of other stuff, including new lines from Yellowstone and The Godfather. 
and not just button downs, but t-shirts, they do shorts, jackets, hoodies, koozies, flannels, so many different kinds of items, so many dope designs. So if you're interested in picking something up for the first time, go to rsvlts.com and use promo code THANKTHEMAKER with no spaces to get 20% off your first purchase. Once again, that's rsvlts.com. Use promo code THANKTHEMAKER to get 20% off of your first purchase. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. All right, let's look at another shot, a season one shot that I feel like has been talked about so much, but I just love it because when I saw it, my brain went straight to the Unreal Engine demo from their from their um, their conference when they announced this this technology. They did the, their demo shot with that motorcycle where you could see the reflections of the world just to flex on everybody. That's that <laughs> they picked the shiniest thing they could and they put it in front of the camera. And I feel like they put this shot in the Mandalorian to do the exact same thing, but I just still love it. It's just still brilliant. Oh yeah, I knew it was going to be this shot. It's just it's like such a good trick too. You know, it's a good like little filmmaking trick and if you miss it you miss it but when you see it you see it this is chapter two the child din and grogu are in this cave kind of cavern thing and these trandoshans come up on him uh, other bounty hunters and they're they're kind of sneaking you see the guys jumping Mm -hmm. in the canyon right yeah it's so good so this is the kind of thing that if you don't get it in camera it's a visual effects chore right so like let's say they had to fully replace this helmet and in that case, probably most of the Mandalorian himself. I guess the question is, how much time and energy did they save by having the volume in this case? Um, you know what I mean? Yeah, they saved a good amount. Probably not as much as you think. <laughs> the thing about this particular shot in here, which I love this shot too, because this is a good example of how to use stuff that's really good. I think the biggest thing is, is you know, that shot's been done on complete green. Mm-hmm. A, a million times before successfully you know um it really just took away the man hours of like people painting stuff out um, anytime you have something reflective is really a chore right and i think that you know they did they did save a lot of time with with paint work and patchwork and things of that sort it's it's probably less than you think though okay i don't want to take the movie magic out of it for you but it's, <laughs> it's it's probably it's probably a little less than you think um i mean maybe i'm just i'm just so stoked on the technology that i i mean that's how i am i mean it looks amazing right like i mean it, it it's it's a living world that like you you feel like you can walk into it i mean that's honestly the biggest thing you know what i would say even more is that the unreal guys the artists who built the asset yeah like look at this are, really, are really the heroes right yeah. because it's not it's not even like because look we still have to like he's walking in an environment that doesn't exist right yeah, he's standing in a building in in LA. <laughs> he's being lit by an environment that doesn't exist, and I think that that yeah. that goes. They still did a lot of the work outside of it to build that asset. That asset is beautiful. It reflects in within his suit in a really good way. Mm-hmm. The colors are warm. Like everything looks 
super perfect. Even like this whole thing, man, you know, like it's, it's, look at how good it feels. It feels like it, it's happening right there. Right. And I think that, I think that the savings that they had was not having to deal with, you know, paint and removing green spill from people and mm-hmm. things of that sort. You know, I think that's the biggest savings. Or what about even weather? No one like weather's yeah. got to be an issue for a lot of things, right? Weather's a big deal too. <laughs> I mean, it could be, it could have been a million degrees and they, I mean, they could have shot it in a desert for a million degrees. Right. Yeah, and right. If they, if they shot it on, you know, a long enough lens, they wouldn't have got really reflections and stuff like that. Mm. They would have, they would have had to do some things, you know, but I mean, they didn't have to cause they could shoot it at a little studio in LA and it looked yeah. like it was really shot out there, you know? Yeah. I love I love that I love that shot because I feel like that's a really good example of of the volume being used in a way that it's supposed to be used. Right. You know, like that's that's what the distance, everything that that a volume is supposed to be used for, they did it that is the perfect perfect thing that they use it for. Exactly how it's supposed to be done. That's why it looks beautiful. That's why it looks real. You know? Yeah. It looks super lived in. It looks like like he's there, you know. It's a really good example of that of that volume, and it's really an, a smart use of like it's it's smart world building of the scene itself too. Like the fact that it's a cave, but it's got an opening, so it's got all these elements that, like you're saying, just take advantage of all the best opportunities yeah. that you have there. And it's a dude that's fighting dudes that are surrounding him. So and not, I, I love the way chase. they lit it. Yeah, they lit it properly from the top. They mm-hmm. lit everything properly to where it feels like you can't tell that that's not shot outside you it's yeah. really hard to tell like if you watch that I've, I've watched that scene if you watch that scene on like a on a good tv not my tv my tv shit but if you watch <laughs> it on like a real on a good tv like on a real screen like it looks good man like it yeah. looks really good i don't know and again like i i've seen those shots done a million times in green screen and i don't i don't i don't like to take things away i don't like to say i don't like to take things away from the green screen way of doing it as the volume i think that the volume if he, if again, if it's used properly, it's it's a savings. It's successful because I've seen it go the opposite way, where they use the volume and we got to fix a bunch of shit in post, mm-hmm. and it's it's a nightmare. You know, it's actually more expensive. You know, you think that it's only going to get bigger and gnarlier? Like uh, to your point of how you got to make sure you're not shooting too low or too high. Are we going to live in a world where one day, as an you know, as an actor, you walk onto a soundstage and like? They're just like, oh well, yeah. The sun is at high noon, li- literally on um, full holodeck style. It's like literally a hundred feet above your head. That's still LED wall all the way up there, and like you're just now living in this. We don't ever have to go outside. We don't have to worry about weather. We don't have to worry about temperature. We don't, have to, you know, like will it evolve to that point? I think it could for some things. I, I, I don't think we could shoot everything on it. Again, like Robert Rodriguez is never going to do that. He wants to shoot in yeah, the yeah. desert. Dudes driving down. New Mexico desert freeway dust mm-hmm. coming up. You know what I mean? Right. Like, I, I think that there's a time and place for it. But yeah, I think that, I mean, look, I mean, I've seen some stuff shot on volumes that I, there are some guys in LA, man, doing some things on volumes that are incredible right now, man. Like when you watch it, you're just like, you, you're holy shit. You know, you're, you're like, yeah. you know. I think there's a huge advantage or a huge benefit to the actor as well in, in this genre in the sci-fi mm. action genre yeah. where over the last three decades, everything has transitioned to this just, you know, CGI 
punch fest. Yeah, I mean, fest, like, you know, like like everything in your shot is is computer generated over has become more and more the case over the last three decades or so. And it's like this gives and they've talked about this and some of the behind the scenes footage that some of the actors have talked to, you know, on The Mandalorian have talked about it, about how you're you're just on you're on Tatooine. You're standing there and you're like, <laughs> yeah. the director doesn't have to say, yeah. okay, now there's the binary sunset. There's two suns over there and they're going down. You're yeah. like, I'm just looking at look two at suns and I'm I'm naturally yeah. reacting to how that makes me feel and not having to imagine how it would make me feel. I'll go a step farther. I'll go a step farther. It's even better for the art for the for the actors or for the, you know, for the camera facing people because you don't gotta go to, you know. Kazakhstan, I don't know, yeah, that's not a real yeah. place, but you don't got to go to those places to shoot this. You don't got to go, you know, we shot in Iceland a couple of years ago. You don't got to send your crew to Iceland yeah. mm-hmm. to go shoot some shit on a glacier somewhere. You know what I mean? Like you could yeah. do Insane. it in a volume, you know? And I think it's it's safer and it's, you know, as long as it's prepped properly, you know, I think it's, I think it's better for everyone. It's not just, you know, the actors yeah. either. I think it's, you know, directors and crew, like a crew in the desert sucks. I've been in the desert, shot in the desert. Yeah, it's horrible. Yeah. You know, the crew in cold weather sucks. Rainy weather sucks that, you know, we saw, Oh, what was it? Damn it. My strange new worlds producer showed me some stuff. I forget what it was from like 1887, maybe, or I don't know. One of those period pieces where they were shooting rain on stage. So they had the led wall and they shot live rain. What? And it was, and I and I looked at it. We looked at it, and I, and I was like, "This is this is the future. This is what. This is how you you utilize this technology in a way that is making it hyper realistic." Right? No one in the crew is getting wet. It's like, no, it's no, I mean actors. The, act, the <laughs> yeah, actors, I mean. yeah, the that's actors. What I mean, are, you know but what like I mean? you could shoot it a hundred times without the crew getting ornery about being exactly, standing in the rain. Exactly. Yeah. The, actor, and the like actors want to get wet. They want controlled environment. Want right? to get And it's a controlled environment. Yeah. Where the actors are not, you're not out in the cold getting wet with water on the side. You know what I'm shooting those old school things, you know? And I think that those are the those are the things. That's what the reason why we might see it progress as quickly and as fast yeah. as it is, because it makes it cheaper in the sense that you don't have to ship people to some weird place. Right. You don't have to, you know, run a whole green screen and a whole crew, and then you don't have to have a whole VFX crew remove green screen on a whole sequence of shots. You know, maybe it's only a handful of shots now, you know. So that's where I think the savings really comes in for, for productions in that sense. And suddenly yeah. the worst part about the location is the commute on the 405. That's yeah, it. exactly. I, there are sometimes I don't even want to, I'm supposed to go visit a wall and I just don't want to drive down there. I'm just like, <laughs> I really, I love you guys, man, but I, we're, we're remote and I yeah. get to work remote, thankfully. And the thought of having to get on that 405 at like nine o'clock in the morning with all those <laughs> maniacs makes me really anxious. So yeah. I, it's hard for me to want to do that. Dude, you, you mentioned um, having to correct things if you shot on the volume and it, it didn't go right. I asked uh, a friend who works for a company who has a, a volume stage, and I asked him, but he didn't know the answer. My question was, you have the digital asset that's on the wall, right? And then you've got the talent in front of it. If you then want to replace it, you're going to have to roto regardless. But because, oh, yeah. but because you have the, the background, can't you create an alpha channel from that is there no is does that make it make it any easier to to have the plate and it's is there nothing in the software at this point that makes it any easier or are you still no sort of yeah okay if you shoot if you shoot like if you're you're saying like if you shoot on a volume and you don't want that particular background you want something else back there after you shoot it right 
oh no, yeah, you're you're sending Roto, you're sending Roto overseas, and it's gonna be quite a bit <sighs> easily. And then it's like, and then you got to have make sure that like when it comes back, depending on the action, like if you're jumping around and being crazy and and do, like if it's a music video, for instance, right? Mm-hmm. I'm just using that as an example. It would gnarly, gnarly. Like you're talking the work to to replace an, uh, a volume background is outrageous for okay. sure. So all so all of the the tracking data is purely positional on the camera, mm-hmm. and the trackers on the camera for um, to get the correct parallax. It's purely positional. There's nothing else in there, right? Is what you're telling me. You already answered the question, but I'm just sure. Yeah, but like, isn't that isn't that part of what I would imagine that doesn't happen very often? Like getting to getting through a shoot and saying, you know, what we actually don't want that behind there because of the ability to previs what you're going to put up on this thing now. I mean, it's different than yeah. going like yeah. trying a hundred different things on a green screen to say like, well, maybe it should be this or that or the other thing. You've you've now prepped it all the way through to say, I already know exactly what it's going to look like when it goes to air, basically minus the actor standing in front of it. In theory, so you're not yeah. you're not left holding the bag of like. I don't, I don't like it now that it's done. If you, you, if, if you, if it's ever came to that point, I've never seen it come to that point. Like, but there have been, but, but there have been times where something happens, right? You shoot something on the AR wall, for instance, and there's a rock on set or something that, you know, that's practical or whatever it is. There's something, something needs to be replaced, right? Those things get cost effective because you have to, I'm using rock as a a general example, but. (laughs) Anything, anything that needs to change, right? Because for instance, like we have a, we have a, a show that I was working on, you know, there were things where there was something in the volume that wasn't on practical set. So we had to then build that asset after the fact and pay to have that asset built after the fact to put it back into those shots because it didn't exist in the volume and it should have, mm. right? Because it, it because, and those are the kind of things that get expensive, right? So those are the things you need to under, you got to really understand anything that's going to, cross the threshold for instance you know anything that like comes in contact with that volume needs to be always there right you know so if you have a practical set of like sand dunes or whatever whatever it is you know and like that has to be the same all the time you know a lot of rocks in the mandalorian (laughs) there's a lot of rocks in the mandalorian there's a lot of you know like our hours are like ship sets right so we shoot ships the interior of ships on a set right and the ar wall is an extension of the ship so it'll have a a um you know an asset of the ship of the set it has to be lined up properly with the set if something then is not proper in the the live set then we need to you know and then when we move to the side it'll be here but not on the screen Mm -hmm. you know what i mean we need to replace that's the replace those are the things that you really come into into issues with um on larger productions you know things of that source you know I know it's hard. It's hard to visualize this stuff. Like people are gonna like. Yeah, makes sense. Gonna, people are not gonna like this episode, you guys. This is nerdy. This is high nerd stuff. We're nerds. Right. I, don't, We're I nerds. don't know if you know this, not Sean, but this is a Star Wars podcast. No. I, I'm saying. I'm saying. I don't. I don't consider Star Wars people to be as nerdy as some. Well, you know, like it's. You know. This is high nerd stuff, man. You're talking about AR volumes and things. I mean, if they, they followed us this far for how many? Four, three years, four years now, they they know. Yeah, just to let you know, uh, listeners, especially the patrons, if you hit stop at any point in this podcast, you're you're, you're done. Okay, we're done with you. You're fired. All right, let's let's look at one more shot. That aside from, um, if it's not the shot that I want to talk about, I'm definitely going to talk about the shot I want to talk about. All right, so this shot, this this is 
the other one, not volume related. There are some volume shots that in the cutaways, but okay. this is a fully rendered shot, 100% CG. And I just remember my jaw opening when I, I saw it. Like, this is the best example of this particular thing that I, that I had seen to date. Since then, Avatar The Way of Water came out. But at the moment that this happened, this, is, this was the best CG water I'd ever seen in my life. This is from season two, chapter 15, The Believer. Mando shows up in the, ra- in the Razor Crest and crashes the ship into the water. This is right at the top of the episode, right after the, the title card rolls, and then they're, they're pulling the ship up out of the water with the crane. Oof. Watch it drip out. Look at this, dude. Who did this water? Was this Scanline? Oh, my God. Uh, I don't know. But, dude, the, watch, the way it sloshes around. Oh, that's such a beautiful yeah. shot, man. So good. Unreal, dude. So this is, this is multiple sims, multiple yeah. different things, all working yeah. in concert, all comped together. Now I need to know who did that because I don't, man. You want to give us an idea of, of like how many different elements, so to speak, are in play here? Like, I mean, everything's CG for one. Right. Right. Then you've got probably different, you've got multiple water sims because the water on the ground level is moving differently mm-hmm. than the water that's falling. And then there's water reacting to it closer towards the center of that point. I mean, this is multiple Sims. There's the water moving around the legs. This is di- different Sims and it's different Sims per shot, per angle. Every time that angle changes, that's a different Sim because that water is moving differently. You know, that water sloshing around. That's, that's crazy, man. I remember this shot now. I haven't seen this shot in a long time. Dude. It just man, what a beautiful shot. The physics of it are like the the physics usually are that's crazy. Are what is the giveaway? Whether it's somebody jumping or yeah. the way something bounces or whatever, and then you can't even tell here. That looks real, man. Mm-hmm. You can't tell here. So when I saw it, I was like, either they went so hard with miniatures and and built a ten foot long razor crest, and this is real water, or someone had a major breakthrough and or spent a billion dollars. <laughs> Well, they, they probably, there's there are specific, and that's why I said Scanline, because there are specific vendors who specialize in things like this, right? right? Scanline, they were like at the forefront of water dynamics. You know, I don't know that they did this or not. It could have been, they could have did this in-house at ILM, I don't know. But man, that's beautiful. I mean, but there are different vendors who are good at, like if we need certain things, we would go to certain vendors. You know, we, at, at, like for our shows, there are certain things that we do that we have our vendors that we that do those specific things. And I imagine that that's what they're doing here because, you know, and I, I would think that they would, whoever's doing it is finishing the shot because there's a lot of continuity in the way this sequence plays. You know, if you look at the background, the background, the foreground of these shots, mm-hmm. like they're all, this looks real, man. Like yeah. this is, this, this shit looks like. Yeah, that just looks like a shipyard. This happened down the street. Yeah, like this looks like a real shipyard, man. You know, like even that ship floating in the background, like everything, the, 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 but not just the dynamics of, of the water though, but when you see the dynamics of the water juxtaposed with like that stillness of this background like this wharf area whatever mm-hmm. this is the light reflecting off all those those like amber lights in the back yeah. they're all hitting off they're all hitting off of shit around them yeah the like this is this is like epitome this is like the the top of like visual effects where yeah. like you're looking at something that is full cg not a everything is real here man yeah <laughs> except for the work that this went is into what it. i this is kind of what i opened with about like 
feature film or what? I don't, it doesn't matter anymore. I mean, like, it doesn't, it doesn't matter anymore, you know? And we have, we have the same conversation all the time because, uh, you know, there is, there is no, I would, I would venture and I would say confidently that there are some films that don't have as good visual effects as yeah. shows like this, as shows like ours, you know? These shows are, are specifically world building. You know, and I think that you guys, I think that I wish fans would realize that, like, these guys are building these worlds, you know, as opposed to you seeing visual effects on screen for maybe like a superhero movie, right? Like, a lot of that stuff is based in, in you know, New York City, whatever it is, like, it might be based in like a real thing. They don't, they have a lot more they can get away with as opposed to like, what's happening in these Star Wars shows or what's happening in shows like mine where like, the shit doesn't exist in real life. You know, yeah. like that, that shot does not exist anywhere, mm-hmm. you know? And I think that's what makes it so, so incredible, you know, like that they, and you don't need to do that. Like that's, that's not a volume. That's nothing. That's, that's the director saying what they want. That's yeah. previs of a shot like that. That is probably six or eight months of, you know, a, a vendor, a house or, or ILM themselves going back and saying, this is refining it over and over and over and saying, Hey, is this look right to you? Is this, does this, is this how you want? Is, is this real? Right. And the artist might be like, yeah, this is, this is what I, this is what I think is real, but you know, it always has, you know, the producers and, and the EPs, they got to come in and they got to, it's got to be what they want. Right. And whoever yeah. wanted that shot knew what they wanted because that is a beautiful sequence, man. I don't have a, a real answer, but I have something that suggests maybe it was all in house at ILM. So yeah, I met a dude who works at ILM. He's a compositor. Um, and he said, I referenced this shot to him and I asked him if, if they were as stoked making it as, yeah. you know, enthusiasts were watching it. And he said, um, basically like they, they were seeing early playback, looking at dailies and they were super stoked. And John Noel, you know, he'd come in and take a look at it and he would just kind of nod like, okay, okay. And finally was like, okay, that'll work. You know, being like a dude who's awesome. an old school yeah. dude who, yeah. you know, w- would go with mini- miniatures if possible was that kind of thing, just like Lucas used to do, where he would just, you know, where everyone's over the moon about the shot and the reaction was, that's good, yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. That's that's how it went down with John Noel. So it, it seems like it was in-house. That's awesome. Could be If wrong. they did that water, I don't know, man. Man, that's dope. That's, that's super dope, man, because water is probably one of the hardest things to ever do in visual effects. Unless that's the one thing they outsourced. Who knows? Yeah, and when you yeah. said do maybe messing with miniatures, even if it's like ten feet long, it's like water's tough. I just saw water's like I, I just saw like a nineteen sixty eight like Godzilla versus King Kong, which obviously like uses so many miniatures and stuff like that, and you could tell when it's not the right scale water. You know, like I'm, I'm gonna say something real controversial. Go back and look at any of those movies and, and shit with miniatures in them. Just go back and go look at it and tell me that looks better than what we're doing today. I'm, I bet you won't. I bet you won't. That's what I'm saying. Like, I respect those guys. I look, I, yeah. I, I currently work with people who worked on the, like the original Star Trek stuff. They would do in miniatures. You know, I mm-hmm. were, I've worked with people who did the original Star Wars stuff. That stuff is, uh, was incredible for its time. They're not doing this with miniatures. Yeah. I'm sorry. They're not mm-hmm. doing it. Yeah. You know, um, and, and no, but I like we're that, finally out of the window where now the t- the technology's there. I I've just like yeah, the, te- like right, the technology is there. that's exactly right. Being a yeah. '90s kid and a film, you know, like like uh, obsessed with film from super super age, I 
I, I'm outspoken about how I feel like as soon as someone figured out you could make something with a computer, then it was just like, let's make everything. With, and, and you're talking in like 1996. Yeah. And it was like, no, yeah. dude, no, not, we're yeah. not, we're not there yet. We are, we're there now. We're there now. You yeah. know what I mean? And, yeah, but, and, I but I think we're just there now in the last oh, yeah. five, five, six years or so. I, I yeah. think even in, in the mid late two thousands, it was still, there was still so much, you know, I don't like, I don't think the force awakens would have been as good as it was if they hadn't relied on as many practical effects as they, they, they did in, mm-hmm. in, in that year. You know, I don't think it was ready yet for, for what you see now. So did they do that much practical? I don't, I have I got a bunch of behind the scenes on that force awakens. Did they do that much practical they though? They did a lot. Aside from Maz, the, like the vast majority of the character work yeah. was practical makeup. So, yeah, um, yeah, and yeah. like and like pup pup a lot of puppeteering and a lot of I mean a lot of puppeteering yeah well Star Wars Star Wars is always real big on puppeteering they still do it now with the ships right? and stuff were for were for sure full CG full yeah. CG but I just mean like I I think that it's been a, a long time coming to get to a place where you can say what you what you just said which I agree with which is go back and watch even the original Star Wars and say it looks better than what's happening now of course it doesn't anymore but I think it looks. I think it looked better, personal opinion. I think it looked better than the prequels. I think the original films I agree. looked better than the CGI in the prequels, even with the ships. And I also say that Andor and being intercut with uh, Rogue One, right? Was Andor, Andor's intercut with Rogue One at the end? There's stuff that's intercut, right? Rogue One used shots from A New Hope. Yes, yes. Rogue Run, yeah, yeah, yeah. Rogue One used shots from A New Hope. So if you watch Rogue One and then A New Hope back to back, that shit is gangster. Yeah. <laughs> like, like that shit, because like you can't tell what they intercut and what they didn't. Mm-hmm. And I think that is like the most yeah, that is that is the fucking filmmaking right there, right? Like yeah. you can watch Rogue One back to back with a new hope. Cause that same shot that that Rogue One ends on, mm-hmm. a new hope opens with, right? Yeah. And if you watch them back to back, you can cut those two films together and it's one long ass movie. And I would watch that shit any day to mm-hmm. week. I will Dude. say, I'm gonna say something controversial right now, and I want to know if you guys agree with me or not. Does Star Wars have a problem with the feeling of the size of their ships? In what way? What do you mean? So, so here's 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 what I, I was I was on like Wikipedia or something, and they were like, an Imperial Star Destroyer is like, I don't know how twelve miles long, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> I have never felt like an Imperial Star Destroyer was yeah. twelve miles long in a Star Wars ever. Mm-hmm. Not one show or movie have I felt. Like there was an Imperial Star uh, Star Destroyer that was twelve miles long, except Rogue One, the one hovering over Jetta City. Over Jetta, the <laughs> one over Jetta. You're one thousand percent, one thousand percent correct. <laughs> Outside of that, those that series of shots, mm-hmm. I have never one time, and I and now I've been watching it. After I read that, I'm like, I'm watching all the movies, I'm rewatching everything. I'm just like, twelve miles though. Yeah. This scale. So how long is is Vader's ship then? <laughs> yeah, it's insane. Like fifty. That's what I'm saying. Like I, I'm, I'm, I would love to. And this is, and this is, and this is not like a, this is not saying one's better than the other. But I think if you watch Star Trek, mm-hmm. what we do with scale of our ships in space is, is, I wish I would see that in Star Wars. Yeah. Right. Like if you watch Star Star Trek Picard, right. And you see that board cube and the scale of that board oh, dude, cube. Oh, dude, that one shot. Did I message you about it? When the, no, I don't think you did. Oh, bro. I just got goosebumps just thinking about it. 
you can feel the scale, right? Like, yes. and I, and I, I want that from a star war. I want, I want a 12 mile long star destroyer. Yeah. I want to feel that outside of that Jetta scene. Cause you're right. That's the only time I have ever felt because if you look at the city of Jetta, you're thinking a city of Jetta, right? A whole city has to be longer than 12 miles. That star destroyer. Yes. In your mind, that makes sense. But outside of that, you never see that. Yeah. Like the only it's time you've good. gotten something as a point of reference, like, that's the no. thing. Underneath one. Well, that Razor mm -hmm. Crest, how big is that Razor Crest? I keep trying to figure out how big the fucking Falcon is, yeah. though, right? Like, like me and my kid, who's 10 years old, she's just like, the Falcon seems kind of small. <laughs> and I'm just like, but it can't really be that small. And then we were like on the ride. We're at Disney. We're looking at it. And I'm just like, it's got to be bigger than that. Right, like it's gotta be. It has to be bigger than that, right? Here's the here's the thing, though. Talk to me. I need nerd talk now. I need Star Wars nerd mm -hmm. talk. This is the time. I mean, that the 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 reference for the for the Falcon is the cockpit, though. Like it can't. You know what I mean? Yes. It, so the inside is bigger than the outside. Yeah. That is a problem that they addressed once they they had to build it build it in CG for mm -hmm. the Force Awakens. Yeah. And that is it an does issue. feel bigger in the new movies, but yeah, not not to make this like a a. a Oh, yeah, but conversation. But until you guys started building everything in CG and Star Trek and updating it, do go back and look at the Voyage Home. Oh no, it's the Bird of Prey is like nine different sizes, dude. <laughs> it's you know what I mean, one thousand percent, one thousand percent. But that's what I'm saying to you, right? That's exactly what I mean. Like we all romanticize what we think we saw when we were kids. <laughs> yeah. But the reality of the situation is like when I'm watching it through my through my adult eyes, and I'm just like. Not so much, guys. That, <laughs> that that looks like a miniature. I know you thought back in 1992 that that looked really dope, but that don't look better than than my Enterprise that we're putting out right now. That <laughs> that 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 Falcon from those old movies does not look better than the Falcons that they're putting out. It doesn't. It doesn't. You know oh, what yeah. I mean? There's no comparison. Yeah, the fidelity is just stuff, like you know a whole different level. But but that said, let's let's look at one non CG shot real quick. I hope it's the one I want. It it may not be these shot, but it's in the one that I have pulled up. But it's it's the uh, it's the thing. Here's a shot of Moff Gideon's light cruiser. This is a miniature. Yeah, there's just something you could tell with that it is though. Yeah, you know. Yeah, but in a good way in this case. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, it looks great. It's a great shot. Well, it's it's familiar. It's a great mm -hmm. shot. Yeah, because it's familiar. Right? That looks like it's from 1977. But I don't get the sense of size. I don't have it. I don't have the size of it. Like I just don't feel For like. Sure, yeah. You know what I mm -hmm. mean? That's that's my problem with it. With this whole with with those with these shows in general, right? I just think in in general, I think like for me personally, like when I'm watching Star Wars stuff, I'm just like that. That scale feels really wonky to me, man. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't really, I don't really like how you got ships being pulled into into you know tractor beams and i'm just like how big is that ship compared mm -hmm. to this one I, I don't know and that's again that's just me like look the normal people watching this stuff doesn't give a shit right like yeah. let's be honest especially kids kids don't care about it my, yeah. my kid don't care about it. my kid's like what is wrong with you <laughs> you know like just let the ghost be the ghost we don't care how big it is compared <laughs> to the falcon it doesn't matter you know but there is one of me but me i'm like I just, I want to know, you know, the piece of me that like wants to, wants it to be, cause I want it to feel real. Right. Like that's yeah. the whole point of going to Batu, right? That's the whole point of going to Disney and that experience. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Or even like, or them doing the visual effects that they are. Right. Cause they do amazing visual is, is we want to feel like we're there, dude. Yeah. You know, I want to feel like when I'm watching, you know, these shows and these things, I want to feel that's part of the experience, you know? And I think that that's what we're getting now, as opposed to, 20 years ago with shows and movies that we didn't get you know we didn't get experience then they didn't care yeah. about 
experience. They just wanted to put whatever they thought was cool on screen. And now we're getting something tailored to like, what do these people want to feel like they're doing? What are mm-hmm. they in? You know, like I would love, you know what I would love? I'd love like a, a new return of the Jedi. I want to see some, I want to see some Ewoks, man. I want to yeah. see what those little, I want to see what today's technology you, you will mixed with practical effects. Of course, you know, because they got to, they got, they got to do some dope shit with practical effects. I just want to see that. I want to see that stuff. I want to see what Endor looks like today. You know, what could they make that look like today? You know? Hey, will you do me uh, a giant favor? Okay. You won't. Cause this take, this will take too much of your time. But, but if you want to dust off your old, um, compositing hat <laughs> oh yeah i'll take way too much of my time what what do you want though? tell me tell me i want to hear it i thought of this when i went to see return of the jedi for the 40th anniversary it looked beautiful it was great but on that size screen having watched you know the past however many newer films on the big screen and that being my most recent memory i could not unsee the matte lines on every single ship in every single shot Mm-hmm. Movie there, and it makes me wonder when they did when they did the digital remasters why didn't they just clean up the mat lines that's all they had to do you know what i mean it probably cost too much yeah i mean they just wanted the, george had his priority list and that was low on it i get yeah it, but, that was low priority for sure but yeah. you know what i mean and there's a lot of like weird tracking stuff yeah. i mean most people aren't seeing it but i can't i can't not see it it's weird that that bothered you like i i have it turned off I have it turned off. Like I, I used to sit here, like when I was first got into visual effects, I would sit here, I'd ruin television and movies for my wife and people and my family. I would just ruin it. Everybody yeah. who would sit around me, I'd just be like, that's wrong, that's wrong. <laughs> ha, ha, ha. You know what I mean? Like, cause you know, and now my brain tunes it all out, dude. dude that's Seriously. A, that's like, amazing. Even, even those mat lines, like mm-hmm. I was, I just watched, I enjoyed it with my kid. We just sat there. Like I know what you're talking about because I, I see it, mm-hmm. but my brain is like, doesn't bump on it anymore. It's just yeah. like, this is what they did back then. And this is, this is like, it's part of the, um, it's part of love for me, man. You know, yeah. cause when I, when I, I know we might be going too long, but when I, when I went back to school for visual effects, I went to the Dave school in Orlando. It's a digital animation and visual effects school. And a lot of these guys were original members of like, they were Star Trek alumni or Star Wars alumni who, who started this school, you know? And they did things in that old school way. And they taught this. When I went there, they taught things in that very old school um, guerrilla filmmaking kind of uh, kind of way, right? They got us ready for production in a way that was like really production, right? Like what you're doing on production, what's important and what's not important when you're working on a movie or TV shows, right? And I have a love for that style. You know, when I watch the old movies and I see those things, like I love that because I know what they did to make that happen. Yeah. You know, like it's endearing to me more than anything else. So like as much as I'm like, yeah, you know what? They could have cleaned that shit up. You know, they could have at least for this, they could have did it for the for the 40th anniversary, whatever. They could have just did it, you know? I'm like, I don't really mind it because I, I, mean, I know don't mind it for how the much love for the I'm, I know how much love went into it. You know, I know how much like you know, nowadays, if something like that were to happen, I would be like, oh, you guys are just fucking being lazy. Right? <laughs> but like, because you don't need to do that now. But yeah. like some of that older stuff, you know, I watch some of those old Westerns too sometimes or like, you know, you watch like Kurosawa or something, something like that. You know, like I watch a lot of reference films for stuff that we're developing. Mm-hmm. And when I watch that stuff, like it's endearing to me. Yeah. You know, I love I love the filmmaking process. And I think that that's what that's what I love about Star Wars, because it's 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 given these people, you know, these directors and these filmmakers and all of these shows that they're making for us, it's given them this, this kind of, you know, new tools to make the stuff that we love so much. Right. 
Like they can expand on these stories that we love and they have new tools to do so, you know? So like 20 years from now, we're going to look at AR walls. We're going to be like, haha, that was on an AR wall. You know what I mean? Like yeah, yeah. there's always going to be some new technology, but at the end of the day, like whether it's visual effects or practical effects or whatever it is, like, like the people who made these things love them and we love them because of it. And I think that's really special, man. You know, I think that's yeah. what's special. That's what I love about my job. You know, I love that. Like, we get, I get to wake up every day and, and help make something cool, you know, yeah. and, and help facilitate something that people enjoy. Like, yeah, there's going to be fans who are like, oh, that looks like shit or whatever the fuck they want to say. Whatever people want to say, everybody's got their own opinion to whatever, you know. But at the end of the day, like, like they're doing things, people are doing things in entertainment, in entertainment fashion for us, right? And we love that, you know, like even a bad Star Wars show is better than no Star Wars show. I'm mm-hmm. saying, dude, preach. You know, yep. like, like that's, that's the bottom line. So I don't really like what it looks like is super cool. I love how they're taking advantage of the technology, but if it was like five dudes in a garage trying to shoot a star war, like I'm, I love, I love the fan films. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like I love the fan films. I love, I love everything about it because I love this dude, you mm-hmm. know? And yeah. I think this is important, right? Like what we're doing right here, talking about visual effects of star Wars, like that's, that's what star wars has done for us mm-hmm. you know that it's so important and so interesting that we can sit here and talk about like how good or how bad something looks mm-hmm. in star wars you know what i mean and, and i think that's cool man i think it's just to me too i i enjoy seeing the like the progress throughout history of that so when you're talking about mat lines and why didn't take them out and all this stuff it's like i don't know it's the same reason again like i just saw a 1968 film it's like there's literal the worst miniatures you could see on a boat in a shot. And I'm like, yeah. whatever, you know, you got to see that from 1968, 12 yeah. years later. Well, not even 1968 to 1977, how much different Star Wars looks than King Kong. <laughs> like, yeah, it's insane. I want to see that progress, you know. And, you know, Star Wars is a good example of how they they always push things farther than everyone else. In a sense, you know, George Lucas, man, you know, Star Wars pushed the envelope for visual effects and practical effects and all of that stuff, even, even makeup effects, you know? And I think that that, you know, when, so when they do things like, it's hard for me, you know, look, I, the scene I was hoping you would bring up was that scene with, you know, uh, with Grogu on the speeder bike with, uh, with what's his name? With IG, yeah. No, 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 with uh, Kellen, with Kellen on the speeder bike, the, oh, the right, rescue. Right. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. Man, I, man, bless your hearts who have worked on that sequence but that that is the wrong way to use ar that is the wrong way to use green screen that was not great in my opinion <laughs> but i love to see it right yeah. like it didn't matter you know and that, but i i you know my kid didn't pick up on that you yeah, know yeah exactly she was like look at that dope jedi saving grogu i didn't pick up on you know that. what i mean mm-hmm. that, that's what i'm saying a lot of people didn't you know like we my kid watches my kid loves the 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 original trilogy more than anything else and i sit here and i'll watch her watch it and i'm just like dude you this is i mean i love it but are you sure like because <laughs> because things are so different now they're so fat you watch Kenobi, any of the stuff that she's watched previously kenobi all this other stuff mandalorian the pace is different everything's different the right, look yeah. is different right like things have progressed so much in in every aspect not just visually but writing and directing and sound and music and all this other stuff you know so to see somebody still a still a 10-year-old kid still appreciate a new hope, 
It's crazy. And sit through it. A 10-year-old kid sit through it and not look away and not, you know, for two hours and 15 minutes, however long it is, like, man, that's that tells you some shit right there, man. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, that's that's timeless. And I man, I hope, I hope that the work that I do is some kids are able to watch it at lat at 20 years from now, 30. How how long? What's 77, right? However long that is, man. We could only imagine that the work that we do is appreciated as such that far away, right? Mm-hmm. Dude, that's why this podcast is called Thank the Maker. <laughs> yeah, man. You know what I mean? Yeah, dude. Yeah. Brad. Respect to you. Respect to everyone who is working their ass off to bring these things to the screen and, and give us stuff that honestly most of us don't deserve. You know, we're <laughs> the, we're lucky to be getting, like you said, even a bad Star War is a Star War. It's it's great. It's a good, yeah, man. You know? Put them in a bodega. I want to see. I want to see <laughs> Han and Greedo in a bodega remake. I'll still watch it, man. I'm yeah. ready for it. Give it to Sick. me. Well, dude, thank you so much for hanging out with us. This this has been awesome. Yeah, I hope yeah. I was helpful, man. I appreciate you guys having me. Up, of course, yeah. you know, hanging out, talking, or whatever. Thank you, guys. Well, uh, if listeners or viewers want to follow you on social media, you want to tell them where to do that. Oh, uh, VFX Sean or Star Trek VFX. I run both of those accounts. You can follow me on there. Same thing on Twitter. Nice. Um, I'm pretty active on social media, so reach out, say what's up. I'm I'm pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> Agreed. Yeah. Thank you guys, man. I, I appreciate it. And I, I appreciate you guys having me on. I, I love Star Wars. I, I I love you guys as well. I think that this is super, super dope. So thanks, fun. man. This, Thank this you. Is, this is big for me. This is cool for me. Thank you. <laughs> well, if you are you uh are you gonna be at Comic Con next month? I might be. We don't have any exhibits, but I might just be there as a fan, just hanging out with my kids. So well if you're around yeah. We're doing Mosh Eisley on Friday, right? Friday, the 21st mm-hmm. at uh, Music Box. So, is that kid friendly? Yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah. If you would bring a kid to an emo show. Yeah. 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 There's, an, there's a bar. I mean, but... look, we bump, we bump records and I drink all the time. So, like, I mean, it's the same thing, <laughs> yeah, right? You're fine, That's then. Exactly what yeah. it is. Yeah. Star Wars emo night drinks. I love it. I might be in. That's fantastic. Yeah. So, if you're listening and you're going to Comic Con, or if you're in San Diego on the 21st of July, moshisley.com is where you can go to get tickets. There are some remaining, but they're selling fast. It's, it's, it's that thing where it's crunch time and all of a sudden everyone's buying tickets and it's going to sell out. So get them, moshisley.com. Also, if you want to support this podcast, patreon.com slash thankthemakerpod is where you can do that. If you're watching on YouTube, hit the subscribe button or the all the things that an influencer says, do those things. <laughs> and uh, we appreciate it. Hit the bell, it. hit the bell. Force punch the bell or whatever. Dudes, thanks for hanging on again. Thanks for being here. And until next week, may the force be with you. If you enjoy Thank the Maker, you can support us by following and leaving a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Or you can support us directly at patreon.com slash thankthemakerpod, where you can get access to our Discord server, exclusive content, exclusive merch, our recording live stream, and more. Our patrons quite literally make Thank the Maker possible. <laughs>